Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, what I wanted to use uh, this particular cast about was a transition that's going on in the Pittsburgh Diocese that we had mentioned in a couple of casts prior to this, that the diocese has gone through a change. Long story short, there's some simple basic facts of why it's going through a change. And I come from the standpoint as an employer, and we are a parish that's reducing the amount of buildings that we're going to be having open. And the flat-out reason is, is that we have less priests who can man the masses. And as you're going through it, if you can't have the priest, you can't have the mass. That's fairly straightforward. So in Pittsburgh, they're trying to take essentially churches that are close together and consolidate them. Which on the surface sounds like a really good idea. That should be easy. You guys already live close to each other. It should be happy. Okay, we're going from four buildings down to two. Now we're starting to get into some fear and anxiety that, oh no, what if it's my building that gets closed? A lot of personal attachment to a place that you've been worshiping or a building you've been worshiping in rather for a long period of time and that's going to be altered now and i mean again ultimately it comes back to the core of if we had twice as many priests as we did we wouldn't have this issue but you know it it's the fact is there's not as many priests so therefore how do you solve this problem and you know the logically logistically everywhere else you look in life you become consolidated that's that's the way it always goes now pittsburgh's a unique area in the sense that at one point we had a church on every neighborhood and the way that the city was built they were very ethnically designed neighborhoods given how old it is and how pocketed it was you know, there was a time when you could only live on Polish Hill if you were from Poland and you spoke Polish. Um, and there's many other areas in the city that are like that. Now, obviously, you fast forward a couple hundred years, none of that's still the same. Everyone's, you know, become the same moving around in, in essentially all the areas. But you still have these rich churches that are all over the place that are very numerous. So this was a very big buildup of why this situation happened where we're, we're downsizing the amount of churches. And what I wanted to, to start with today was since this last weekend introduced the new mass times. So your building might have used to have three masses and might be down to one or two now. And I basically wanted to use this as a platform to directly talk to people who might be going through this Obviously, we have viewers way more than just in Pittsburgh, but this isn't just a unique situation to just Pittsburgh. This is something that the lack of priest is is a faith-wide issue, and whether it's happened in your particular area you're listening to or not, statistically speaking, it will. So what I wanted to do here was 
talk to people who might be going through a situation maybe today here in October of 18 or sometime down the road where something like this may happen, you know, what would you want to tell people as a starting point in in a place of of calm and peace? Well, it's a good uh, reflection, Joe, and, and sensitive to bring that up and so timely for the listeners in the Pittsburgh area. As you say, it's a it's a broader phenomenon, and there are a, a few things that go into that. Uh, the number of priests is one metric. Of course, we have fewer priests because we also have fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of those masses, as you mentioned, uh, you don't need three masses to have mass for 50 people anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do that in one mass. But... Um, also, uh, you know, financial considerations are, are part of it, which again ties with the number of people mm-hmm. and how much people are giving. Uh, to, to roll things back a little bit farther, we could say, why do we have so many churches and so many priests? Well, we really passed through a minor age of faith. Uh, in, uh, following World War II, there was such incredible disillusionment after two world wars, the horrible atrocities, the Great Depression, a lot of people came back to faith. And so especially around that time period in the, in the 40s and 50s, there was an incredible movement back to faith and a huge number of priestly vocations. A ton of people entered seminary, entered religious orders, and there was a big boom in vocations. And, uh, and, and in the faith of people and, and in the desire for the sacraments and to practice Catholic faith. And so that led to a new building. It led to new communities. It led to new mass times. It led to new uh, financial dependencies because there was more money to work with. So it led to a lot of things. Uh, And then at the same time, because people were already coming in, we were just fielding what was already happening. There wasn't a need to sort of convince people that faith was an important part of life. They already believed it. They were living it. They had, you know, and their parents had come through in the Great Depression, for example, when they lost all material support. What are you going to turn to? When you lose children in war, what are you going to turn to? When we have things that are beyond our control, we tend to recognize that we are not omnipotent as human beings. And so there's a big turn to faith, a big turn to God. And then the priests that came in that time period didn't have to convince people. They just had to provide for the people that were coming. People wanted God. They believed in him. They were already praying. The priest just had to kind of feel that. But it, it threw the church into a maintenance mode that just trying to keep up with the demands of daily life, having the number of uh, masses and confessions and uh, maybe some some devotions and then and marriages and baptisms was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So priests were already quite well occupied doing all that work. Then as, as things started to hit a time of more prosperity, people started to fall away from religious practice 
Um, there was already sort of poor catechesis happening. Second Vatican Council threw a lot of wrenches into that and people getting confused about, oh, everything changed and, you know, now with this new prosperity, who needs God and it's not interesting anyway. And anyway, I'm really simplifying things a lot, but mm -hmm. this is one of the sort of threads of development. And so then you have, uh, and then a lot, a ton of people also left the priesthood at that point. And, and the dynamics started to change a little bit. Pope John Paul II inspired a kind of new fervor. And, but, but what we never really put into place was a change of culture from maintenance to evangelization. We never really went from just fielding the requests that were coming in to actually actively seeking out non-believers and convincing them that Christ is the answer and that their life would be better in in the church. And so we never made that shift. And then at the same time, you know, we've got the, the priests who are kind of leading the charge um, are not engaging the lay faithful enough, are overwhelmed by the amount of sacramental ministry they have to do, in addition to all the administrative work and everything else that they have to do. And... Uh, it just saps a lot of time and a lot of energy. And the vision of how do we turn things around? How do we seek out those who don't believe in Christ? How do we share the gospel with those who are far away from God? These kinds of questions and the chance to formulate that kind of vision is just not happening in people's minds and hearts. And so Bishop Zubik in the Diocese of Pittsburgh wanted not just to scale back because of the number of parishioners, because of the financial limitations, because of the priestly limitations. In scaling back, he wanted to also change the culture and change it from a culture of maintenance, which would be, for example, a priest focusing on having mass, hearing confessions, doing, doing funerals. And that takes up a bit of the day, especially where you have an older parish. And then... Mm doing, you know, maintenance, administrative work, getting the, the, the leaks fixed in the ceiling, trying to point the bricks, trying to keep things from falling apart, and trying to get the money to do that. Mm -hmm. Just maintenance. And working pretty hard, putting in a full day's work, not making any forward progress, just trying to prevent backward progress. So Bishop Zubik said, let's not just shift to you know, downsizing and then repeating this maintenance model until we have to downsize again and downsize again. Let's downsize more than we need to. Put priests together in parishes. Combine a lot of the overhead in parishes, parish councils, finance councils, ladies auxiliary, the Rosary Altar Society, the Knights of Columbus group, uh, uh, whatever. You know, all these different groups, men's groups, women's groups, Let's merge all of this stuff together to have more of a critical mass and to also free a priest. Rather than having three priests doing maintenance on three different parishes, let's have one priest focus on that as the pastor, do administrative work, oversee the lay faithful who are more competent at it, uh, doing administrative work, and free up the other priest to do more dedicated ministry, to do evangelization, to form a vision, to actually move us forward not just to prevent falling behind. So 
Bishop Zubik's vision was pretty bold, and I'm not sure that there's still anybody who has followed that in the sense that he led a mission of scaling back the number of parishes from like 175 to about 53. So it was a huge reduction. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of uh, having stronger, more robust parishes with more priests and uh, then really changing the culture from maintenance to mission, to evangelization. And so it's, it's a bold move. And because it was so huge and because he wanted to get priests together who could work together and he wanted to prepare the people so that it wasn't a big surprise and he wanted to make coherent decisions and have people involved in that, not just a kind of top-down uh, fiat that would just make things happen overnight. He took a long time, met with thousands, tens of thousands of people, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in the in the Pittsburgh diocese and and took a long time to make careful preparations and make the decisions that are now being implemented, as you mentioned, mass times being uh, cut back and priests being moved around, and the parishes being in a position now to combine different councils and efforts and to formulate a new vision. How is this new parish going to move forward in the future? And it's going to be different than the past. And that is hard to leave those things behind. We all have nostalgic visions and comfort levels about the way things used to be, we got good at that. We uh, shaped our lives around that. And now a lot of people have to let go of those experiences and move forward in a new way that allows uh, a more robust vision to unfold and hopefully to spread the gospel to more people. Yes. Yes, and this this podcast actually was from one of those original conversations that that was out there, um, as you mentioned in that history, that the bishop had been letting it known that something was going to happen for quite a while, and this didn't just pop up yesterday. There's been a lot of thought behind it, and when you articulate what you're trying to accomplish in the way that you just did, it makes an incredible amount of sense. You know, you can just see it. You can only do so much in a day. And if your day is essentially already 95% obligated to just keep you where you're running, you can't really progress anything. You know, in my world, the answer would be you'd go out and you'd hire new people to be able to, if you only have enough time to take care of the projects you already have you're eventually going to finish those projects have nothing left so what we what we do is we hire new people to be out there looking for new projects to go out and find stuff so that the whole pr enterprise doesn't come to a grinding halt when we finish or then we would stop try to find new projects and then restart it essentially six months later it's not a good path and th that's essentially what you were describing there as far as what the bishop's trying mm -hmm. to prevent. He's trying to make sure that we're not in the same situation, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Because I do remember, obviously I was very young, but I do remember something like this happening in the early 90s. Nothing that's to right. this extreme extent, 
but something happening that, that downsized churches. And it's just something when you said that history of it about the depression and the two wars, you look at it on the one hand that, you know, I'm really glad that we don't have to go through anything like that again. You Amen. know, Amen. We, we've put some structures in effect, whether you like how exactly they were built or not. Um, we put some structures in effect that essentially will keep a depression from happening again. The thing in 07 wasn't good, but it was nowhere near what happened in the Great Depression. So, you know, in that regards, that's a very, very good thing. Amen. But also on the same hand, you don't want to, you don't want to use despair as a way to make everyone go back to God. We need to that's figure true. out how to have prosperity and God, because ultimately God wants you to be successful. You know, a couple casts ago, we were talking about, you know, if your job, part of doing your job well, and the way that you're called to it is a service to God. So you take that to its natural extension. God wants you to be successful at what you do so that you ultimately can take care of your family. The more successful your business is, the more it can grow, hire new people to take care of more families, so on and so forth. That's the wheel of an economy, of a market economy. So it makes a lot of sense that that's what essentially the bishop's trying to do here as far as to grow it so that this problem doesn't come again. And instead of us having a situation where we have 50 people spread across three masses that now we're consolidating to one, perhaps in four years, mm. now we're going to have, you know, 120 people at this one mass. And we're going to talk about how we need to, uh, to grow it. You would know this better than I, just as an aside question. Has the ratio of parishioners and people joining the seminary basically been the same? I do not know that, and I'm sure that's not true all over the country. There's a, a group called the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, CARA, mm -hmm. C-A-R-A, and they do that kind of study. So those numbers would be out there, but I don't, I don't know them offhand. Fair enough. Well, the reason I was saying that is because I'd assume it would be relatively stable. Whatever percentage, 1%, 2% of your population will eventually become a priest. Now, obviously, the goal is to make that higher, but I'd imagine that there's a certain amount. So therefore, using said logic, the more parishioners you had, it solves all three problems. That solves right. the money, the amount of parishioners, and the amount of priests overall. So I'd like to shift the second portion of this podcast to talk to the parishioners that are going through this and how to make them have a situation not like what you described before about all the change and upheaval of Vatican II to not have people want to say, check out and disappear. So what would be your message to basically your average lay parishioner? Well, I think there are several levels to that. I mean, Pope Benedict's words to us in his first encyclical are always important to come back to. He says Christianity is not 
a lofty ideal or an ethical decision. Christianity is about an encounter with a person who gives life a new meaning, a broader horizon. Um, and if we, if we really have an encounter with Christ, if we come to believe in him, really believe in him, then it begins to change us from the inside. And then we naturally start to ask those questions. What can I do? How can I help? And that's why I love, you know, that you're, you're such a good example in this regard, Joe. You had your own conversion and you started saying, as you saw the financial reports and everything else in the church, how can I help? And what about a podcast? You know, how can I get some word? How can I do something? And, and that's what I would encourage our, our listeners to do is just ask that question. How can I help? So encounter Christ more deeply, open your heart to him, and then ask that question, how can I help? So I think that's really the, the key thing. One of the opportunities in this time is to recognize when we had so many priests and religious, it just became a luxury. Like, let's just, just let them do everything. But that's not really helping people. Uh, there's, you know, it's wonderful, again, to do this podcast with you, Joe, you're, you're so good. You set up the technology, you, you handle the podcast details and you come up with the questions and then it lets, you know, and those are things that you're interested in and those are some skills that you have and you're able to do those things. And that allows me to do what I'm able to do. I'm formed in theology and I have a lot of experience as a spiritual director and answering some questions, reflecting on some things and so we really work well together. And I think that's the model for the parish as well, that, that the faithful and the priest would work well together in order to build up the kingdom. But that requires everybody to know Jesus, first of all, and then to do whatever he tells us. Yes, and that's, uh, that's actually one of the other things I wanted to ask about. We, you know, we're sitting in a, in a nation here that, the vast majority of people, when it, they're given the little box of for their census, you know, what are you? The vast majority of people are going to click Christian in some capacity. And we're sitting here having a conversation about how their encounters with Jesus are diminishing. Well, it's not like God is trying to be less of a friend or he's holding a grudge against you. Um, he's definitely not. He's, he has infinite amount of grace and love for you. So it has to be on our side then. And, you know, you, the way I've always thought about evangelization, evangelization is probably from like the 1200s, whenever priests would go out to the places where they've never heard of Jesus and, you, you would then have them introduced into your life and go from having no experience whatsoever to now having a deep experience. And I don't think that we really have a model. Obviously, we're trying to accomplish that every day in our own ways mm. about I knew Jesus, but we didn't really get along when we were in high school, so I don't really hang out with them anymore. And... As a nation, I kind of think that's basically where we're at, um, you know, and 
I, I don't know how we overcome that, but obviously discussions like this are part of it. And, and that's part mm-hmm. of, part of what, what the Bishop's trying to overcome here. Um, I do know that from our stats, this podcast is working. People are reaching out and growing it. So thank you guys again for that. But that's part of the bewilderment. And maybe at the end of the day, that's the challenge that we're leaving to all of our listeners here to, to think of a way to overcome that. Or maybe even just to call up somebody you knew in high school you weren't very close with and hang out. Um, maybe it's something as Amen. simple as that. <laughs> um, so nonetheless, that, that's, that seems to be where we're at. And I don't know if that's a accurate analogy or, or not, but that's just the, the feel I'm seeing. And in short, that's, uh, yeah, just uh, seeing what we can do, asking ourselves that question, what, what can I do about it? I want to help making the commitment. We always want to start with prayer. Again, that encounter with Christ is what everything else flows from. And, uh, you know, we certainly don't want to give in to discouragement. That would be a real temptation. And you mentioned earlier, Joe, the, the difficulty of letting go of those sentimental things, uh, the building, the, the beauty of, uh, of the building, the, the particular images and statues, and maybe some aspects, you know, Polish in the mass or um, certain musical styles or um, or a particular priest, you know, being willing to let go of a lot of those externals. None of those things are essential to the faith. They're, they're externals. Uh, they're beautiful externals, and they do help. I'm not diminishing them at all, but but they're not more important than God. Mm-hmm. And if we're really going to choose God, then we have to let go of some of those externals. And as we do that, praying to God, encountering him, opening more space for him in our hearts, then the other things will come. Demands in some cases, needs of people. The necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. When we need something, we find a way to make it happen. Um, so a lot of different opportunities will be unfolding. But if we give in to discouragement, if we give in to bitterness, if we start to judge and get angry at everybody who was involved in this, Um, If we start to pick sides and create divisions, all that is going to go very badly for us and for um, anybody else who might have joined the church in in this time. And that's very well said. And the thought that came to me as you were saying that was, even if it's something small, if it's a starting point, it's worth trying. You know, there's some of us need to accept the, Humility that we're not being the one in charge of an operation that maybe we would have been somewhere else, but there's a a, a process to there to opening yourself up and and to do the service and to just simply ask the question even if it's something that that is personal to you and small if you can do something to help it will make a long distance a lot of a lot of distance and a lot of a lot of growth there mm-hmm. so so on that note we'd like to ask. Uh, Everyone out there that if there's someone in your life that you can think of who you think could benefit from the kind of conversations we're having in the podcast, you know, we ask that you click the little share button on your respective iPhone or however you're listening to us and send it, send it over to them. You know, please give us an opportunity to continue to grow 
the way that we have. And we thank everyone out there for listening. And we'll be again with you here next week.